Okay, this webinar is being recorded. So hello everybody, welcome to um, this um, second of a five-part series um, on talk, taking a closer look into the 17 domains of the CMC uh, framework. Uh, this experience is gonna be far better if everyone um, participates and makes it interactive. So uh, even if you're not presentable, even if you're not, if you're in your jammies, whatever, please turn on your cameras. We wanna see your faces. We wanna make this uh, as interactive as possible uh, and two-way conversation, not just a one-way presentation. Today, there's gonna to be no sales pitch. Our agenda is purely to share essential knowledge, insight, and maybe bring a little fun to a very, very, very dry topic. Um, the questions are, uh, you can put up in Slido and, and I'll put into the chat area, the link again for Slido. You can also enter into the Zoom uh, chat um, if you have questions as well. We'll be monitoring that and, and answering your questions. So let me take a few moments and introduce our panelists and then we'll get started. Uh, first off, we have Kyle uh, Lai from the founder and CISO of KLC Consulting. Uh, he's currently residing in Houston, Texas with over 25 years of experience in the industry. Kyle has been a CISO, senior leadership, security advisor, management, and technical hands-on um, in various security roles. Kyle has helped clients, including but not limited to uh, DISA, Army, Navy, USPTO, um, VA, NIH, Duncan Brands, Bowen, Cigna, Akamai, and a slew of other companies. Kyle currently helps companies as a virtual CISO today, uh, achieving compliance around RMF, CMMC, NIST 800-171, uh, building security programs, DevSecOps, and security champion networks. Uh, welcome, Kyle. Uh, also, we have on our panel today is Eric Lunsford. Uh, Eric currently is residing in Arlington, Virginia. Eric served both in the United States Marines, United States Army. Thank you for your service, Eric. With over 15 years in IT and cybersecurity roles, Eric focuses his consulting services in areas of risk, incident response, and compliance around CMMC, NIST 171, NIST 53, FedRAMP, FISMA, SOC, and ISO. Welcome, Eric. Uh, third, we have Mike Pedrick, our very own CISO and, and Vice President of Consulting at Stealth Group, joining us from Denver, Colorado. With over 16 years, Mike currently serves um, in uh, his local ISACA chapter as coordinator mentor uh, for studying classes on certifications. And within uh, Stealth, he is, is one of our senior consultants engaging with clients on assessment and audit uh, consultations. Welcome, Mike. And then uh, last but not least, we have Dasha Deckworth. Dasha is the president and founder of Stealth ISS Group. Dasha serves in the United States, served in the United States Navy. Thank you for your service. With over 25 years of experience as a technical or technology professional, uh, Dasha has led key cybersecurity initiatives within the government, civilian sectors, where she has proven IT security and cyber warfare services to NATO, various US, EU, and Asian government agencies. Uh, Dasha is one of our provisional assessors for the CM's uh, Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Program, and she's earned numerous qualifications. Welcome, Dasha. Hi, everyone. All right, well, let's get started. I'm going to throw up um, presentation here. We can talk about um, CMMC. 
So currently today, uh, we're covering uh, the cybersecurity maturity model certification as it um, uh, applies to level three certification. Today, we're gonna be covering three different areas of the 17 um, areas uh, or controls that are required within CMMC. Uh, we're gonna be covering configuration management, CMMC maintenance, and CMMC asset management. So let's get started uh, with the first one, uh, CMMC configuration management. I'll throw out the first question here for you guys. Um, what all is involved in baseline configurations? So I'm happy to give it a go. Um, so a lot of uh, a lot of clients come back and ask, well, yeah, what does that really mean? Um, so basically, it means you have to have documentation somewhere that says how your Windows laptop or a Linux laptop or whatever you may have, how it is configured, uh, what is what what patches are applied. So when you first set it up, how what else what all software goes on what operating system goes on what version of it what patches um all of this this basic stuff what are the permissions are you creating an admin are you creating a user are you creating both are you what kind of permissions are you giving the users how often is the um how often is the requirement to change the password what is the complexity of the password just expecting six characters and that's fine are you are you putting in place any kind of, um, you know, the, the usual what uh, what is expected even in CMMT and NIST is when you go away, you have to control alt delete or a um, the um, the screensaver comes on and then after five minutes, you are you need to log in to get rid of the screensaver and go back into your computer. So that's all considered basic configuration. Now as an assessor that will come into your organization, they will want to take a look at it. So remember, or if you don't know it, in CMMC, there's three things that we're looking at from a compliance perspective, something that you have, something that we are out of three areas. We need to test it, we need to see it, or we need to actually read about it. So in this case, out of those three, CMMC requires us to have two. So if we see it, then we either also have to test it to make sure it works, or you're gonna to have to have a document. Usually it's a standard document. That's the most common version. And uh, that's what eventually, when we see that, read it, test it, or, and or view that it actually works, that's when we can come and say, okay, you are completing this, it's aligned, it's all good. And I just Thank wanna point out, uh, it's really important, guys, that you focus on your security hardening, um, whether you establish this in your continuous monitoring, uh, but having a good process, you know, to apply those patches, updates, and changes that are necessary and to compare those baselines. So security hardening is, is key. Appreciate that. Um, I think, uh, David, real quick, one thing I want to put out there, and it's sort of a recurring theme, uh, especially with regard to documentation, configuration management, especially as well. What, what we're looking for is some degree of, of evidence of intentionality, right? If I, if I walk into your environment and I point to a random device, right, and I ask you, is that configured according to policy? 
I want your answer to be yes. I want your answer to be, I know exactly how that thing is configured because it's configured consistent with my policy. My policy is consistent with my requirements, so on and so forth. There's no ad hoc, you know, it's, it's configured however it was configured or, or I don't know how it's configured or it's the defaults out of the box, right? Every time we hear about a, a new breach or a new vulnerability, it often comes down to, well, I, I took it out of the box, I fed it electricity and I started using it, right? Uh, and that's not, that's not defensible in this capacity. Right. So, yeah, so I think this is all the great discussion here, and I agree with all every, uh, every one of uh, you guys. So uh, I think nowadays is, um, there's a new technology, for example, in the DevOps, uh, there's an automated way of setting up the environment, right? So if, you are, if your organization is big enough that you can take advantage of some of these uh, newer technologies, Right, so you can actually use like uh, some of these automation in the DevOps. So you will be able to say, here's um, infrastructure as code. That's usually what we call it, right? So you can actually build like, this is how we actually want to set up the Windows virtual, virtual machine Windows server. And you can actually code it say, these are the policies that we want to apply. These are the configuration that we want to apply. But even the software you want to install, that's gonna be uh, scripted, they're gonna be coded. So when you actually say you want to create an, uh, a Windows Server environment, you know, push a button, create this environment, it's going to be created all the same way. So you know, if your organization is big enough, you'll probably try to take advantage of some of these infrastructure as code technology. And one thing I want to add to this, um, and it also goes to one of the questions that we have in Slido. So it, um, you can have multiple Secure, multiple baseline security standards. And you most likely will, because you will have one for Windows laptops, for example, you will, when, uh, you will have one for your servers, Windows, Linux, you name it, whatever in your organization is. And if you're giving away, not giving away, but if you're using your corporate phones, iPads, tablets, you name it, all of these also, as long as they're in, C, in within CY's group, they also need to have those security or baseline configuration standards. Now, the question that we have on Slido is, does the baseline have to follow DOD STIG guidelines or other standards such as CIS allowed? Now, the CMMC does not specify what kind of standard you take. You can do DOD STIGs, they're very technical. Um, CIS is also quite technical, um, very, very complex, uh, has a lot of controls in there, can be some cumbersome for some smaller companies to establish those, especially if they don't have all the tools um, to support all of it. Or you can just simply take baseline security best practices. However, as long as they meet all the CMMC requirements. So throughout the entire CMMC spreadsheets and all 170 controls, you have certain requirements, such as you have to have um, a, you know, you need to change passwords frequently. Now, CMMC does not tell you how frequent you have to have it. So that is something that CMMC does not go into that many details. So if you're looking at it, CMMC is at this high level. Uh, DOD sticks guidelines and CIS, they give you a little bit more detail. So as long as you meet CMMC, it doesn't matter what standard you take, but you have to make sure that all CMMC 
requirements on baseline security are met. Asha, does that does that also apply to like um, when you look at um, specifically the requirement for log retention? Is it just an org policy? Or does the CMMC have a required period of time, like in some of the other uh, compliances like HIPAA and SOC? Same applies here, but here okay. also I would like to caution if you. Um, and you mentioned it, there are regulatory compliances that ask you to retain logs for a certain amount of time. Um, PCI, for example, um, you have, I believe it's, it's a year or six, six months, year, I'm not quite sure, but um, it, is, it is a requirement. And the other thing is also, if you have a breach, those logs and everything pertaining to that particular incident, you have to keep it for several years depending what kind of incident it was, where it happened, what state, what country, uh, what data was. So you got to make sure that the log retention is set up so you meet all these requirements. Yeah, just, to, just to add to that, I agree with uh, what Dasha was saying. So yeah, just uh, make sure that you look at all the different regulations. Um, in the, if you are looking specifically on the NIST 800171 or DFARS, the only reference they talk about is on the DFARS 7012. You say after you have the breach, you have to keep the you know, packet capture log for 90 days. That's the only time that actually mentions something more specific. But um, other than that, there is not really a, any, anything that's specific saying like how much time you have to uh, keep it, how many days you have to keep it. But um, I think it's kind of uh, on the CMMC or NIST 800-171, it's just like, you have to keep the log uh, for the, you basically have to define how long your log is gonna be kept and that you better have this you know, policy procedure in place to actually support that, how long you should take, you should keep the logs. Um, but again, uh, many different regulations, HIPAA, SOX, you know, G GDPR, so there are many different countries, right? Uh, they all have uh, different different laws on the log retention. And to that Thanks, log, uh, just oh, go ahead, quick comment. So on the log retention, uh, you just, uh, Kyle, you just mentioned a good point is how long you keep it, the logs, that's your, that you set, you basically set that based on your business and the also regulatory requirements that you fall under, not just CMMC. However, those requirements as in order that decision, I'm gonna keep the logs for 90 days or 120 days or however, that also goes back to your baseline configuration. So that entry goes back in there so that you can set up every single computer accordingly. And, and keep in mind, you know, log retention um, is, is not always just about the minimum standard. You know, if you're doing forensic investigation on, on a breach within your network and you've only kept three months and, and the data entry points were six months ago, um, you might be losing some valuable information that you need to understand um, how they came into your network and what they did and, and uh, how, to, how to share up those gaps. It's a, it's, that's definitely a, a delicate balancing act, right? Because retention requires space it requires resources that have a have a dollar amount associated with them yeah there's also a, a growing concern about uh data that lingers in your environment if there's ever a you know a, a legal process where e-discovery is engaged 
whatever information is in the environment that's subpoenaed is subsequently surrendered. And so uh, generally speaking, we try to advise folks to keep, keep data exactly as long as you have to and not a moment longer, right? Uh, you know, jettison that stuff, throw it over the side of the boat just as quickly as you possibly can so it's not used against you later. Um, but to your point exactly, log data usually gets short shrift. Um, you know, I'm going to keep my files for X period of time, six years, seven years, based on whatever my, my requirements are. But log data, psh, I don't care, right? Um, so that does often get short shrift. And I think the, the bigger point, especially with regard to configuration management, is ensuring that that information, if you say you're going to do a thing, do that thing. Um, if I'm going to say I'm keeping my data for a year, find a way to keep it for a year, right? Or, or whatever the case may be. Really quick, we're, we're short on time for each section here, but there was one more question in this area I wanted to, to throw out there for the team. Uh, what is meant by least functionality and least privilege? Who would like to take that, Eric? Sure. So, you know, what we're looking at here is uh, computers and devices, okay? Um, they're built, configured to perform specific functions. Uh, for example, if you've got a backup server, uh, you know, it's only used for backup and storage, especially for CUI uh, and that specific CUI data. Don't use it for like an email server because uh, this could lead to like CUI leakage from like getting a compromise such as a phishing attack. Thank you. Well, let's move on to the next section here. Um, we're going to get into uh, CMMC maintenance, which is really exciting. <laughs> I think everybody loves that, don't they? How do you make CMMC maintenance exciting? Well, let, let's uh, start off. What evidence is recommended to prove maintenance is being performed? So I think, you know, this kind of goes across all of the controls, right? A lot of people are, are trying to grasp the, the, the policy, the, the process, the plan, you know, what needs to be written down um, and uh, what evidence needs to be recorded uh, to suffice uh, certification. So who would like to take that one? I, I think I'll, I'll start it off. So maintenance can be both, can be hardware, can be software. Uh, as a requirement on the CMMC and as a best practice as well is always know what your inventory is. Always maintain either a spreadsheet, a piece of paper, or if you have an automated tool that does that for you, you should have an inventory that lists out what asset it is, who belongs it, who does it belong to, who works on it, what kind of hardware is there. And if you're talking about hardware, if you have a let's say something breaks and you have to replace a hard drive. And let's say this is a computer that has UI on there. So we as assessors, when we come in, we look for a process and chain of custody of that particular device with the hardware once it's being removed and what it's being done with it and how it's being replaced and who does it. So proper, okay, it broke. Now it broke at that time, you have a ticket open or somewhere documented. And then from there on, you have a replacement part that gets put in. Yes, if you have automated tools, the, the device will show up back in the inventory as a live device. And then we need the evidence of what exactly is happening with that hard drive. Is it 
are you going to put it in the safe and you're going to keep it there for the next 20 years? Great. But then we're going to go want to see that safe and double check the serial numbers and make sure that that is still in the safe. And you have to have some documentation. You also, especially if it's a CUI, we're going to want to see that the person managing the maintenance, managing the hardware, replacing it actually has also the classification or the authorization to manage CUI data. It might be a broken heart that that data is still there. So we still need that person to be authorized. We're going to check that. We're going to make sure it goes from point A to point B um, and is there where it's supposed to be. Doesn't get touched by anyone. If you need to remove the data and completely destroy it and you give it to a third party to destroy it, then we want the evidence. We want the paper trail. We want to see who does it, who does the destroying. And then usually in most cases, you get a certificate back from the third party telling you it was fixed or it was destroyed or whatever. So that's the whole maintenance piece. Now, at the same time, you got the same process on patch management or software updates, all of those things. Same thing, you need to keep track where it is, have it documented so we can see, yes, every quarter you are doing, let's say, application maintenance, or you check every quarter or once a year that any of your devices is still operating at the level that they should be. So it's not just about security, but it is it does it do the functions and does it do it right? Is it secure? Is it configured right? Does it have what it needs to have to do the job? Um, what should you do with lease printers to ensure there's no residual CUI on them at the end of the lease? Yeah, so I think, uh, I don't know how many people actually knew is that there is actually a hard drive. If you have a lease big multi-purpose multi uh, printer copier that you lease from the company, usually they have a hard drive and that usually it keeps everything that you have printed, copied from, uh, copied from the day one. So it has a lot of information, usually have like terabytes of data, right? You don't want to have these go out to uh, people who actually uh, getting your lease computer, uh, lease printer back. So you usually, I will recommend that, yeah, you actually take out the hard drive at the end of the lease or the, if you actually need to actually ship it out for the maintenance, take out the hard drive and uh, maybe just uh, do a DOD level wiping of the data or just destroy it or whatever. Uh, you need to actually just destroy the data on the hard drive. Um, there might be a memory chip I think you know somebody was talking about just uh, put it in the microwave and fry it. Um, but usually that's for the smaller printer. Um, for the large printer, I would say take out the hard drive and make sure that you wipe it and uh, don't don't uh, leave that computer or leave the hard drive to um, when you ship it out uh, or bring it to the maintenance. Um, and also there is um, they usually uh, larger companies, uh, bigger brands uh, of the printer. You can actually get a option to encrypt the hard drive. So that's usually an option. So that's might be one of the options that you can use. You, know, you can actually subscribe when you actually lease a printer. And wouldn't that be something, you just mentioned um, encryption on the printers. Wouldn't that be a requirement for CMMC CUI anyways? Yeah, I think it will be, um, but yeah, I think until now, probably not too many people knew about that option. I think one of the takeaways would be um, pay attention to where CUI is going to be flowing through your environment, and especially where regards devices that are leased or managed by others or 
you know, in a, in a common space, maybe that's not the cat you use for, uh, you know, CUI and or FCI uh, related work. Maybe it's advantageous to purchase another device or uh, choose something else in the environment. Thanks, Mike. Um, we have a question that just entered Slido. It says, how does CMMC deal with <coughs> proof of established policy rules exist versus compliance performance rules being followed? Our metrics submitted. So um, as, as an assessor, and, and this is straight from the CMMC AV training. So as an assessor, we need to collect the evidence. So uh, remember when I said um, we need to that we need to read something, see something, interview, or be able to actually test it. So in this case, let's assume you've got a um, policy. Let's take something simple um, that you, and let's stay with maintenance, that you maintain and really touch every single computer on a quarterly basis by your admins to make sure the patches, software, operation, hardware, all of that is aligned with and working. So if we read it as an assessor, then we're gonna to want to see the evidence. And the evidence here that you're actually doing it, which is the process that is being followed, we're gonna to want to see, okay, do you have an inventory? Do you have a ticket system? Do you have something how you track it? Um, if you have, for example, a ticket where it says, okay, the printer was shipped out for maintenance or somebody came in to maintain it on site, we're going to want to see some kind of evidence with it was, let's say, a third party coming in to maintain it. In that case, were they accompanied, which ties into physical security, which I'm going to leave out here, but it kind of ties all in together. So we're going to take as the assessor the evidence from you. We're going to take the policy. We're going to take the procedures, if you have those documented, and the screenshots of whatever processes and whatever evidence you give us for that particular policy. We have to, as an assessor, keep it, review it, understand, acknowledge, and then say, okay, you're meeting those requirements. Same thing, for example, with passwords. If we do that with passwords, we're probably going to want to take a screenshot of your group policy settings for all your devices on password management, duration, length, all that. And we're going to test a couple of those devices to make sure that you're, you're really following your policies. Dasha, that brings up a good point. When do you decide when you're testing versus just reviewing policy procedure and evidence? Um, does the CMMC, you know, guide you on you need to test these many things under each control, or is it really under um, the guidance of of the the assessor on what makes them feel comfortable that they've satisfied um, that procedure is being done? It's um, it's a discretion of the of the consultant or the assessor. It's uh, in some cases you will not be able to test something. For example, disaster recovery, you can't test it, but you can take a look at the evidence that it was performed, any kind of tabletop exercises. So it, it's a discretion, and also depending on the service of what what can be done with it. And of course, um, I've never seen one. I, I hope there's nobody out there who's as an assessor going to request to do a, to create an incident and have your incident response team actually walk through an incident to, to show that it works. So some things just can't be tested. Yeah, Go to the side of the building and turn off the power, right? And, and see how, how things work out. 
Yeah, and just to add, I think just a follow up to Dasha's point is that um, they can also do the interview, right? Interview with the staff that are performing the controls, the practice, and uh, if the staff can actually walk through and talk through the process, like this is what we do, then it's kind of convincing, right? They actually know what they are doing. But if they are during the interview, they just like, yeah, I think this is what we do. Then I think the assessor will look in deeper into like, are you actually doing it? I'll look at the evidence further. Great. There's another question in there. Do we need to show asset management procedure with inventory of hardware that is retired and disposed of? So you, you have to keep a record of that? Yeah, I, th I think here, here's uh, what it comes to. If you have a small environment, you do everything manually. Um, it's probably not an issue. Um, if you only have like 10 people, five people, uh, small environment, that, that should be okay. But if you have like 100 people, 200 people, 1,000 people, manually tracking that hardware configuration is going to be not really efficient or probably not possible. So when you have the larger environment, it's better to actually have a tool to have an asset inventory or the change management tool to actually do go out and actually pull the information of each of the asset that are in scope, right? each of the asset hardware or software inventory, and that they will actually be able to uh, go into the hardware or software or your computer or your assets to be able to pull out the configuration of the hardware and software. And uh, you should have a management interface to be able to actually see if this is a new hardware, it's going to show like when that hardware is actually get into your environment. If you actually have the hardware that's or software that's been pulled, right, that actually show the inventory changes. So I think it's better to have uh, some software be able to be able to use some of the inventory hardware, inventory software. Appreciate that, Kyle. Um, before we jump on to the third area, is there any other points uh, any of the panelists want to make on on CMMC maintenance? Uh, I do want to. I want to expand on something really quick. Uh, you know, life cycle management is something that I also think is doesn't get enough attention in, in places. And to the question of, you know, should I be tracking uh, systems that have been decommissioned? As Dasha very helpfully pointed out, if you're decommissioning something in the way that you should be, there's at least a certificate of destruction that you can point to to say, you know, if nothing else, I have a mature process for decommissioning systems. Look at all these certificates of destruction I have, um, which sounds like a really cool 90s metal band. But anyway, um, the keeping that inventory of systems that has passed through the environment, I think is, is key. I mean, keep that, that data for a requisite period of time, a reasonable period of time. Again, not defined specifically by CMMC, whether it's a year or a year and a half document what you're going to do and then go do that thing but keep that log of of past systems because maybe i'm a paranoid sort of cat but you never know when something's going to come up and somebody says hey is this yours it's got a sticker on it that says company name address etc and it was just used in a cyber crime or it you know i found it at a garage sale and it's got a hard drive on it and i think you owe me money now uh or something along that line so um, absolutely asset management, good segue, asset management and, and life cycle management are, uh, you know, again, don't, don't snooze on those things. Well, thanks, Mike. And, and yeah, that is a great segue into our next 
area that we're going to be covering, which is asset management. Um, all right. Um, one of the first questions we're here we have is uh, CMMC has surprisingly small amount of requirements for asset management. Does this indicate that the asset management is unimportant for compliance? I, I would say it's probably the foundation of uh, of all the uh, all the CMFC that you have to all the controls is really based on what asset you actually have, right? So you really have to understand what kind of a scope that you have, what kind of uh, assets that you actually have, hardware and software devices, application systems, servers, right? All these you have to actually identify your scope, identify what kind of asset that are actually in your environment, right? And the best way to actually go through this is to walk through the data, data flow. Um, data flow, uh, usually what we go through is a CUI data life cycle, right? You go through like the input of the CUI. Where is, that, where is the CUI actually coming into your environment? How is that coming in? Where do you actually get the information from? And also what information do you create? What CUI information do you actually create within your environment? So you actually get, under, get to understand what CUI is, resides within your environment. Then you can kind of follow, follow through, kind of like understanding where is this CUI actually stored, gets stored, right? What systems, devices, um, application do you actually use to store that information? Then, you know, for that stored information, you get into the usage. Who are actually using, who, who within your environment, right? Who who within your uh, company, which department, which role are actually using it? And what kind of application do they use? What kind of computer do they use? Devices that have access to these information. Also the servers, if there are servers involved, you know, if you actually store in some of the cloud uh, application, what are those, right? And also the, uh, once you actually understand the usage, who do you share that information with and how do you share? Do you actually share through certain device or storage or some kind of a application, right? Make sure you take it, take that into consideration as well as your asset. And when you actually get into the uh, archiving backup, is that is that on site or is that actually uh, in the cloud, right? Identify those and identify those because those are part of your asset as well. As you go through the end of the data life cycle, right? You go through the destruction but make sure that you know, if there are some things that you actually uh, store, use to actually do the, destroy the, the information that might be also in scope. So yeah, as you go through this uh, data life cycle or data flow, you should be able to actually identify the assets that you actually have that handling, processing, transmitting CUI. So I think that is kind of the fundamental to understand your scope, understand your asset. Uh, once, you actually, once you understand your asset, then you can do the rest, right? Because uh, sometimes you get overly complicated because uh, you are including all the different assets that are not really in scope, right? So define the scope, defining the asset that are in scope, I think that's a fundamental from my opinion. Thanks, Kyle. We have a question here from uh, Slido that says, um, is there a difference in how assessors interpret controls in an organization with 50, uh, employees or staff members versus a large or enterprise organization? Is there a different approach or are you applying it all across the board? So CMMC um, and the DOD are expecting the same approach, the same methodology, 
the same collection of evidence, the same review of evidence. So three out of uh, two need to be satisfied. However, um, yes, there will be a different set of how an organization deals with all these controls. So a large enterprise might have everything automated, might have everything digitalized, a small business with 10 employees, um, probably not the same tools, maybe all of it manually, maybe most of it is recorded on a spreadsheet, maybe a simple open source ticketing system versus ServiceNow. It, it honestly, the technology and how it's being done, it does not matter as long as it's being done. No auditor will expect a small business to have the huge tools and automation in place. So you don't have to have all of that printed out per se. Um, if they have a network tool and they can demonstrate and show, uh, you know, asset management, network maps, all of the data inside the tool, they don't have to print all of that out. No, and to be no. honest, you should not be printing stuff out as a general rule, because then you're suddenly going into well, if you have IPs on there, regardless of CUI or not, you have IPs, you have server names, you have workstation names, you've got sensitive information. And then you got to make sure you know where it ex exactly is, how it's being shredded, who all has access to it, clean desk policy, lock it away. Don't, don't print it, please. <laughs> if, yeah. if I can, I, just real quick, I want to make a callback. Uh, print spooler, you know, to the least functionality concept, print spooler is taking it on the chin this year. The, the service and Microsoft operating systems that actually prints. So I would highly encourage you to roll forward into no paper, you know, a paperless environment and use that as ammunition. You know, Printspooler is just not very secure anymore. Let's yeah. get rid of it and make sure that it doesn't exist anywhere but where it absolutely has to. Yeah, I think that's why they call them print nightmare, right? Print nightmare vulnerability. They're still fixing it. Yep. Yeah. Um, just, hey, just, uh, oh, just, ahead, up, yeah, just to follow up, Basha's, um, uh, you know, if there is a assessor, how assessor interpret controls 50, more than 50 or less than 50. But I think, I think in terms of the, in terms of the assessing the controls effectiveness, I think it's all pretty much the same. Is that effective? Is that meeting the controls or not? But if you're actually saying like, yeah, we have a thousand, people, uh, organization, and uh, we manually do everything, including patching and uh, we running around to actually doing the patching. And uh, the, the, the assessor might, might not actually think it's effective because uh, you only have like five, five IT people managing a thousand computers and you're running around to doing that patching. Yeah, that's probably not effective. So I think it's still going to be uh, meeting, kind of like evaluating the technology or the process that you have um, based on the size and the complexity of the environment. So I think that's uh, gonna be something that will be interpreted by the assessor. Great, thanks Kyle. Um, in some areas, when you look at, at the control uh, definitions between process and plan, they seem to be overlapping. Can you clarify and what you're really looking for um, between those two documentations? So if I can give it a stab, and to be honest, one of those things are really, they seem to be the pain points for every single company that we've talked to so far is the 99X requirements. So 999, the policy, 998 procedure, 997, the plan. 
So the policy, I mean, we'll kind of know the plan, uh, the policy, what we need to have, that's fine. The process is actually then writing down how it's being done. So um, if you, for example, have a policy that says we're patching every, every month, then the procedure should be saying, how do we do that? And for example, you have a tool or you're a small business, you don't have a tool, you have an IT administrator and you tell them manually every month, you're gonna touch every single computer, you're gonna check operating system, you're gonna check Adobe, you're gonna check this, this, this and have a checklist and then have them do it manually. Now, if they do it, that's great. If everything is patched and I see that, that that's great. But if you don't have that process documented, it's a failure because the documents, the 998 for every single domain needs to be in place. We need to validate that you know how to do it. You have instructions for your engineers or you have instructions for your folks on how to manage asset management, how to do maintenance, how to all of these details. Um, and then the other thing is 997. So 997 is pretty much for a lot of folks, a big question mark. It is a, it's not a technical plan, it's an, it's an executive plan. It can be 17 different plans, each one for each domain, or it can be one major document covering all 17 domains. But going back to the process of patching, you will have to have a patching or maintenance, whatever, patching plan. Now, in this case, you're looking at, and the requirement specifically is the CMMC has five bullet points, and I'm just going to read it off quickly here, a mission statement or vision statement of what your patch management is going to accomplish. So it can be as simple as we're going to make sure we patch everything once a month. That's the goal. Okay, that's the mission. Fair enough. Strategic goals, objectives, preferably in smart format, specific, measurable, attainable results, time bound. So here you have to be specific how you want to accomplish your mission. And that depends on your company. It's on you to, based on the mission and the goals that you set, how you want to achieve it. How are you going to measure it? Are you going to do quarterly reports? Are you doing monthly reports? Are you going to do reporting? You will have to. So something there has to be in place. Relevant standards and procedures. Um, say you're going to use best practices or you got, you're going to use NIST or you're going to use CIS. Um, whatever it is that you decide, you're going to need to put that in your plan. Um, project plan to record activities, due dates, organizational resources. So if I know I'm going to need to have patching, I'm going to need, as a business owner, I'm going to need to put budget aside and find somebody who's actually going to do it and give them the tools or the means to do their job. So I will need to say, okay, I've got either in the existing org structure, or if I don't have it, I'll put down in 2021 and Q4, I'm going to hire a person with this job description. I'm going to set this budget aside and all good. And that person is going to report in the IT department to the CTO, for example, or whatever it is. And then of course, the last bullet point is training. Now you will need to make sure that the person performing that job knows what they do. Um, sometimes they already come with the training, but a refresher is always good. So if you have a mandatory training for somebody like that, could be free, could be internal, could be sending them off to a vendor to do that, could be online, doesn't matter. If you say, 
I'm going to send in 2021 or once a year to a vendor specific or online training, then put that down. Now we're going to validate that as an assessor that you're actually following it, but we need to know what your goal is, what your plan is and how you are actually going to make sure that patching is being done. You know, that brings up a good point on training. Um, within CMMC, some companies will be outsourcing some of the aspects of, of the controls. Um, so whatever they outsource, that outsourced uh, company needs to, to document the training, correct? If, if, if they're outsourcing that particular function to an MSSP, um, they'll have to have proof of, of that MSSP doing ongoing training for the the consultants that are um, assigned to that organization, correct? Correct, a anything, whatever, it doesn't matter if it's training or if it's asset management or patching, if it's to a third party that you're outsourcing it to, you are responsible to have that documentation to meet CMMC compliance. So you have to make sure that your provider, whatever it is, provides you with the right documentation. So make sure when you outsource something, you have a chat with them, not just about the service delivery, but what kind of evidence will they give you that they destroyed your laptop? I mean, hard drive or your documents or that uh, they will, that they do patching. Request a quarterly or mon monthly report as evidence for you and file it for your, for your assessment. Yeah. Is there any limitations? Oh, go ahead, Mike. Oh, yeah, sorry. Just to uh, add on top of the uh, resource planning of uh, 997. So I know this is all very new for everyone on the CMMC. So because there are going to be financial, um, the budgeting associated with uh, uh, 997. So it's better to actually, you know, involve somebody with uh, authorization to approve budget because uh, They'll be part of the evidence if they come in to say, hey, you have this uh, budget. They go talk to, hey, can you actually bring me the CFO? Did you approve this? It's like, I don't know why that is. There will be a problem. Gotcha. Mike, did you I have something to that, contribute? Sorry, just no. okay. uh, to, to, ahead, your point, uh, to your point, uh, Kyle, this is not a, a plan. It's really more at the, at the management executive level. Yeah. Um, so if they sign off on it, um, either or even the CFO, especially around the budget question, if they sign off on the plan, just like somebody signs off on the policy, um, that is, is the best evidence because then we as the assessor know it is official. All right. Um, David, I, I wanted to touch on a point. I love when the conversation shifts toward MSPs, MSSPs, et cetera, because I, I was recently paroled paroled from a um, MSB. Uh, the, the point I want to start it with is that ultimately you're still responsible. You as the client are responsible for making sure that XYZ documentation or, or protocols, et cetera, exist. Now that doesn't mean it's all on you. It should be a partnership between yourself and the service provider. And so if you need something from the service provider, you know, certainly you should make sure that they provide that, whatever that is, documentation, uh, metrics, so on and so forth. Make no mistake, the liability is on you for seeking that, that compliance, right? Um, there's a question that just showed up in the chat regarding, you know, where does CMMC fall on with regard to MSPs and whether or not they actually hold the data? And I think that we're going to see some of the 
the parallels there to when GDPR went into effect and MSPs were on a mad scramble to figure out if they were data processors or they were data owners. And I think that, that's, that it's going to be a very similar conversation. And I would hope that there's a dialogue between everybody listening to this or everybody viewing this later and their associated service providers to understand, okay, what lives in your environment? What are you doing to protect it? And where's the documentation thereof, right? Uh, because that goes into your evidence bucket for when you are assessed. Because the assessor is going to see that you're partnered with an MSP or an MSSP, and they're going to ask that same question. And the wrong thing for you is to shrug and say, they just take care of it all. I don't know what they're doing. That is absolutely the wrong answer. Brings up another question. Is there any restrictions within the CMMC compliancy of what you can and cannot outsource? It's probably not saying that you cannot outsource, but it probably have the requirements. Say if you outsource and you have to have, for example, if you are choosing to outsource your email, right? That's uh, pretty common. And uh, what kind of uh, email system can you actually outsource to? They're actually talking about if it's going to be cloud-based, right? They have something like uh, cloud, you have to use the FedRAM. Um, they say moderate, FedRAM moderate plus they have to have the instant response type of uh, requirements, right? So those are some of, that, that's actually a DFAR 7012 uh, requirements. Um, but so there are some of those requirements out there um, in, in terms of the specifically, like, you know, you really have to depend on what kind of uh, IT portion, what kind of the IT support that you're outsourcing. And, um, you know, for example, you know, you're outsourcing the backup and uh, is this backup vendor, are they actually using the proper encryption? Yeah, they do have the encryption that you require to have a FIPS 140-2, right, for the transmitting encrypted information. So, so I think it really depends on the, what type of IT services that you're gonna be outsourcing. Appreciate that answer, Kyle. Um, we don't have any other questions in Slido, so um, I'll just open up to the panels. Any other areas you wanna to cover today? On, on these three controls. I think the, the only thing I want to add is, um, yes, everything is kind of interconnected. So asset control, inventory, um, asset management, life cycle of hardware and everything. But the key really is starting out with a policy and process. If you start defining in the policy what you want to accomplish, write it down with the specifics, no matter what standard you're going to use, what you're going to decide, as long as it meets the CMMC requirements, and maybe some other like PCI or HIPAA or whatever industry might be that um, you need to uh, conform with. But once you have the policy set and you know exactly what you are, what you need to accomplish, then defining the processes. Ask the people that will be, for example, setting the passwords or doing the patching or doing physical security, whatever it is, ask them to write how they currently are doing their job. Because apparently it's, it's already happening. You probably have it in place, most of it. It's just not documented. So taking current operations, having somebody take that document, write it into a process, and then from there, as management, you you know 
what you need in order to make that operation happen. You know how many IT people you currently have. You have a vision of where you want to take your business into next year. You know what budget you need to allocate. Ask the people what kind of training they need. Put that in there. So none of this is really on one single person is going to accomplish it. This is collaboration across multiple departments within the organization, from executive all the way to the IT engineer that will be doing the hands-on activities uh, from HR all the way to physical security. So across multiple areas that will interconnect, that will overlap. And so don't, my recommendation here is start with those documents first, get in, get in place first what you want to achieve, then make it happen, then have executive put the plan together and, uh, and start documenting start documenting and especially if you're going for CMMC assessments, start putting based on your policies and procedures, start putting the ask the people that are doing the job for evidence based on CMMC, start putting together a folder somewhere on SharePoint or wherever you have your secure area based for each, uh, each of the 17 domains, start putting the reports start putting screenshots of how things are being configured, put your policies in there, the processes, the plan, start collecting it. Because one thing that I know what usually takes the longest, and that's also why some of the audits a, take not just long, but also become very expensive, is interrupting everyone when the assessor is there, the IT administrator, HR, executives, everybody's busy. But if you already come in as an assessor and you get everything handed in literally as you walk through the door, 90% of the evidence, it's quick, dirty. Yes, there will be follow-up questions, but it's definitely not going to be so much business interruption on your side and so much distraction from business ops and day-to-day -day ops to, that you need. And you're going to save a lot of time and you're going to get people into doing the right things at the right time to generate the reports, to view those things, to review reports, understand when there's something wrong, raise a flag and fix it. And that alone is, um, is a huge, yes, it's a huge, um, huge effort to start it out with, but once it's going, it's gonna make things so much easier and also cheaper from an assessment perspective, especially if you're gonna have to repeat CMMC every three years. Um, you're going to have that ingrained in your staff. They're going to know the processes. It will become natural. That's just my biggest takeaway or recommendation I would like to give out. Appreciate that, Dasha. You know, we have about five minutes left. Um, that's just making me think um, a lot of the companies out there, the smaller to small mid businesses that may be running 95% from home, uh, running their businesses from home, you know, they still have to document the procedures at home. Like, let's say you have a printer and you're printing up CUI data, and then you're going to store that CUI data in your office. They would have to document how they're storing that, that they have a locked cabinet, that, that the printer is limited of access, that the room can be locked. Is that correct? Even though it's at home, they still have to document that type of process. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I would say yes, because uh, that's considered like your home office or alternate work site. So you do have to make sure that you have the policy procedure for handling the CUI information. Um, so, yeah, I think that 
the best way is not to print, <laughs> like uh, what Mike was saying. But uh, if you actually do, yeah, you actually need to have the proper procedures in place in terms of how to, yeah, how, how do you actually protect that information, whether it's a uh, home or you are traveling, right? So if you're traveling, then, you know, work from a hotel, like what kind of procedure do you have to protect the information um, that's on your devices? How do you physically protect your devices? So yeah, you, you probably want to, uh, based on my understanding, DOD is still working out the process in terms of how do they assess the home, home-based businesses because they try not to visit your home, right? Um, because of all the privacy, but they are still working out that, that procedure in terms of how do they actually assess the home-based businesses. Well, thank you guys. Uh, we have about three minutes left. Is there any final statements from our panelists today? I just want to um, articulate on CUI, you know, again, you know, scope, um, figure out what your CUI is, like Kyle said earlier. Um, once you determine your CUI, you can apply that data lifecycle to it. And then what Dasha said, just reiterating that, you know, protect it, segregate it, um, and secure it. And uh, I would say also give yourself plenty of time. It's not going to, uh, there are a lot of controls and uh, so give you plenty of time. Uh, usually probably 12 months is more realistic, but um, yeah, so you don't really try to cram everything into a very short time, like a month is right now, most likely not possible. Yeah, the, the clues in the title there, it's a maturity model and you, you mature over a day, <laughs> right? Yes, sir. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, today, we're going to get wrapped up. Um, a few house cleaning aspects. Everybody that attended, um, you will get an email thanking you. And then in that email, we'll also give you information on the next uh, series in this webinar part three, which will be covering uh, additional controls. Well, I want to thank everybody today. Thank our panelists, uh, Robert, also our, our CEO of Stealth Group for, for joining. Appreciate it. And uh, all of the uh, guests that attended today, thank you for your time and your, your insightful questions. And we appreciate uh, you attending this session. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much, everyone. See you in the next one. Thank Take you. Care.